Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. We're happy that you're able to join us on this Tuesday afternoon. Uh, my name is Drew, and I'm your host on Bible Quest. And let me bring in our panelists. Jonathan, good to see you today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Good to see you, Drew. Good. And you really sound a lot better. I mean, you were you were you got rid of COVID a week or so ago, but last week you still had a little bit of coughing there, but you sound pretty clear today. You you're about hundred percent, you'd say? Yeah, I've actually I've actually not really been sick for over a month probably now. Um, but the cough stuck around for a long time. So uh, but I think that's finally finally gone, which is nice. <laughs> All right. That's good. Scott Smelter is with us. Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Drew. How about you? Very good. Scott is our program director. We're glad you're able to be with us today. I know there's going to be some scheduling changes coming up with, uh, I think Scott, I mean, uh, John is going to be traveling over the next several weeks. Not sure how long. we got to work that out, Scott. Um, so what are we going to do today? Well, today we're going to talk about an individual. And, and the question is, are there any valuable lessons that, that we can learn from the story of Naaman? He was a man of valor. He's a powerful warrior. Uh, he was the commander of the, Syri the ancient Syrian army. His background is from a, a pagan culture. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to 2 Kings 5. That's where we're going to see the story of Naaman. Uh, it includes uh, a young slave girl who's uh, a Hebrew slave girl that was kidnapped. And she is now, the, her mistress would be Naaman's wife. Uh, the story also includes the king of Israel, who really doesn't trust Naaman's motives, uh, and he was uh, desiring uh, to be cured of his leprosy by uh, a prophet in Israel. In fact, so much so that he brought with him a ton, almost literally a ton of money in the form of silver and gold and, and clothing and all. And uh, Scott, you had asked me if um, we look up the, what the value of that is in today's current market for silver and gold, what he brought with them was equal to $4.8 million worth of gold and silver that he wanted to give as a gift. After all, you know, he wanted to be cured, so he's willing to pay for it. Um, and then, of course, he had his pride. The story talks about him letting go of his pride when he finally is uh, healed um, of his leprosy. And then he asked for a strange, uh, strange thing, a strange request from the prophet. He he said, can I take back a dirt load, a truckload of dirt <laughs> back to Syria with him? And we'll look at why would he do that? And then you have the prophet Elisha's uh, dedicated servant, uh, Gehazi. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but he lets his, uh, his greed get in the way and it destroys him. So yeah, there are a number of lessons from a number of key players in the story. In, in this interesting story of name. And so if you want to be following along, Second Kings 5 is where we're going to be looking at. Scott, you want to, you want to start it off? All right. Well, let's get the text up here. And you know what? I've been having bad luck lately getting uh, Blue Letter Bible to show up. Let me try it one more time. While you're doing that, I want to make a comment of my new background. I don't have to have a virtual fake background. I'm sorry, you don't have to have a virtual fake background, Scott. You've got a lovely background behind you that's real, but I'm using a fake one here. So it looks nice, but I really don't. I'd love to have an office like that. 
see here. That's one of the benefits of uh, Zoom. You can pretend to be somewhere else. Yeah, I, I like. I love your library there. Yeah. Oh, there you go. You got it, Scott. All right. Sorry for the delay. All right. So, Second Kings chapter five, verse one. Somebody read, please, for us, verse one through seven. Yeah, so it says, Naaman, commander of the army of, of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. And he was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in. Uh, went in and told his lord. Thus and so the girl spoke from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And so he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he, brought with, and he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And now when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and he said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. So the first thing we might notice is that when we are in the historical books from uh, Joshua, Judges, First uh, and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, usually... The, the characters in them are all Israelite, you know, mm -hmm. uh, either, either earlier, you know, Hebrews, Israelites, or in the divided kingdom, Israel or Judah. But this chapter is about this fellow from Syria. Um, and the connection comes from this, this girl. And just notable here, her attitude. Uh, she probably was not hoping to be taken away in a raid uh, and, and taken from her homeland and everything. But a good attitude remains in her. And so while she's uh, serving Naaman's wife and realizes Naaman has come down with leprosy, her, her wish is, would that he were with the prophet in Samaria, he, he could cure him of this. Um, would you say she had, of all the characters, except for the prophet, would you say she had one of the better attitudes? Uh, yeah, certainly better than Gehazi's is where I <laughs> get to, and better than Naaman at one point, but then he gets improves his attitude, Jonathan. I think that that's, that that's a really good point. Um, and, and that's not just exclusive to this story, but really shows up in a lot of different stories in, in the Bible. So a really similar situation, you've got Daniel, uh, who's also taken away in a raid. And he's taken to a different country. And granted, he, he's not—he's not exactly a, a servant. He's actually being kind of trained to be kind of like almost a high official in the king's court and stuff like that. But he is taken away from home and right. in a, and in a difficult situation. Yet he still dedicates himself to do the best that he can where he is and honor God and serve God. Um, or Joseph, who's sold into slavery by his brothers into a foreign land. That couldn't have been really great, but he does his best to serve God and honor God in every situation he finds himself in, and God exalts him, uh, along with, with some other examples. And a, a point that I would make, just to notice, um, I can't remember who I, who I heard making this point, but it, it's, it's interesting when you look through the Bible at different stories to see that both the Lord and Satan are active in the same events and they each have like different goals that they're trying to accomplish. 
And whose will happens, whether it's the Lord's or Satan's will, is largely dependent on how we respond to the situation. So in all of those terrible situations, uh, the slave girl, Daniel and Joseph, they could have all just resigned, forsaken the Lord and, and been miserable. But felt sorry instead, for themselves. Yeah, I felt sorry for themselves. But instead, they used those opportunities to honor God and serve God. And it's the same situation for us. Bad things can happen, but largely whose will is going to happen depends on how we react to those situations. And um, in her so case, she's a really, really good example. Yeah, she's a good example because she's in her case, she was concerned about her mistress's husband. Yeah, sure. Who's who's responsible for the the country? He's, he, you know, he's the commander of the army in a country that did is doing these uh, raids. Took her in the right. You used the word opportunity just a minute ago, Jonathan. Uh, we were doing our Zoom study today on Philippians, and Ladonna pointed out, you know, the, the opportunity there that Paul, when he finds himself a prisoner, he uses it as an opportunity. And then both in Acts 16 and in Rome. You know, in Acts 16, they're beaten with rods and jailed, and then he and Silas are singing praises. And, and he preaches the gospel to the jailer, and the jailer and his family become Christians uh, in his household. Uh, and then in Rome, he's using the opportunity to teach those around him. So the lesson for us to learn there is instead of expecting God to make our circumstances be what we want them to be, and after God has fulfilled our order, that then maybe we'll do what he wants. We're to do what he wants wherever we find ourselves. Right. All right. So then uh, the king sends him. And yeah, because we can read this 10 times over 6,000 shekels of gold and not get any idea. But thank you, Drew, for looking that up. So what was that? 4.8 million yeah 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 and now it doesn't say where he, he got the letter from the king but it doesn't say where he got 4.8 million uh is he a rich man I, I get the impression that he's he's royal he's like royalty he's the commander and the fact that the king said go and i will send a letter to the king of israel you know it, it may have been that the king provided this after all he is a commander of the army and he's in in high favor and so the, this is something valuable to the king. It's something valuable to Naaman. And so he's going to take something valuable. And we're going to see why that becomes irrelevant later. Um, so uh, after the king thinks this is a pretext for, for war or something, uh, then somebody pick up and read for us and read well, verse 8. Before, yeah, I wanted to add the king. Think about that for a minute. Here's the commander of the army of the country that's doing continual raids coming in. Men, in fact, are kidnapping their women and children. And so he's sitting there, the king of Israel, saying, you can see why he would have this attitude, but it's not the attitude that the, the prophet has, but his attitude is, who does he think I am? I mean, he, he thinks I could... I don't know if we went that far yet, but he's got an attitude that um, you can understand his attitude. Like, this is a trick. Did we read that part? Yeah. He said, mm -hmm. consider and see how he's, he's seeking a quarrel with me. So he doesn't trust them. But then Elisha rebukes the, you know, response to the king. So verse yep. eight, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? 
let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. Uh, the king had said, am I God? No, and neither is Elisha, but Elisha is a prophet. Okay, so Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Now, we're going to see in a minute what he thought. Well, let's jump ahead to that. Well, wait um, a minute. The, 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 um, you talked about opportunity before. Notice I, Elisha is saying, King, here's an opportunity for us to show that yeah. the, there is a prophet still in Israel. Yeah. Uh, and so here is a great opportunity, a lot of lessons for us to learn from it. Um, I want us to read the quote from Naaman in verse 11 before we read verse 10. So skip the first part about him being angry and just what's the quote in uh, verse 11 that Naaman says he thought would happen. Uh, verse 11, but Naaman was angry and went away. Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord, his God, wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. So that's what he's expecting. So he's come with all this gold, with all this silver, and with these expensive raiments. And, and raiment was a big deal back then. I mean, you notice the king rent his clothes. It's an expression because you're, you're doing something something about it. He's got all this riches. And in our currency, as we said, almost what, five million coming close to that. He comes with horses and chariots, stands at the door of Elisha's house, and that's what he's expecting. Elisha would come out. He would stand, call upon the name of the Lord, wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Let's notice something here about his leprosy. He's not a full-fledged leper yet. He's got leprosy, but don't picture him covered head to toe. He wouldn't be still a commander of the army if that was the case. He's got a place of leprosy. And he says, I thought he would come and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. And of course, you got some leprosy. Your concern is you're going to get more and more and more, et cetera, be cut off and, and everything else. Horrible, horrible disease. But he doesn't get what he expects. He's come with a great deal of worth to give for his cleansing. He's expecting a certain kind of ordeal and show, but instead somebody read verse 10. And Elisha sent the messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. So he doesn't even get to see the prophet. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean I came all this way and you're sending me this old life servant? You know who I am? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So his emotion, verse 11, is anger. 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 Yeah, and I think, uh, I think his pride is hurt and he's offended and he wanted to get healed of his leprosy. He's ready to give this great amount of wealth. He wants to see the prophet. Instead, a servant tells him to go dip in the Jordan. The dirty Jordan. <laughs> Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be clean? You know, and why not come all the way here for this? So he turned and went away in a rage. Yeah, not just mad, right? Mm -hmm. So somebody read for us 13 and 14. Just just really quick but before yeah. that, that, that attitude that Naaman has um, is so easy to have by people still today 
and, and you see it that kind of attitude generally throughout scripture as well of this this uh this looking at the superficial level and wanting something really impressive that looks really impressive rather than just wanting what god wants and following god's will and it's yeah. interesting, one one thing that that popped into my head um that's that's jesus right in isaiah 53 talking about jesus it says he grew up like a root out of dry ground and right. he had no form of majesty that we should look at him and he was despised by men he, he didn't look impressive at least maybe superficially but he was impressive and was and was doing wonderful and and, and amazing things but it, that you see that all throughout scripture god's word is often simple and his will is 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 simple to understand and see but that's almost kind of a turnoff for some people. They want something more impressive or more grand. And yeah. that's kind of what, what Naaman's attitude is here. And what we'll see that corrected by, I think, his really wise servant, what he says in the next section. And also, those rivers, he's like, he's proud of the rivers back in Damascus. I was doing a little bit reading up on that. And uh, apparently uh, the rivers in Damascus flowed from the, the snow-covered Amanos Mountains. Uh, so they were cleaner, purer. And uh, maybe the Jordan River wasn't his claim. It was more muddy. And so he's looking at this muddy river. I could be back there where the rivers are cleaner. I can't get cleansed in that thing. I'm just thinking what could be going through his mind because he uses the example of those rivers. <laughs> and so we shouldn't start off with our opinion of how God should have done it. Yeah. Uh, we, we need to have some humility here. Mm -hmm. The servant came near and said, my father, is it a great word that the prophet has spoken to you? Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? Now, different translations translate this differently. Some other translations render it, you know, if he'd asked you to do some great thing, wouldn't mm -hmm. you have done it? Mm -hmm. um, and so sometimes you have to figure out how to do the punctuation in which negative, you know, or in adjective goes with which thing. But either way, whether it's the servant saying, if he'd asked you to do something really big, wouldn't you have done it? Or if he's saying, this is good news. This is a good thing. Won't you do it? Mm -hmm. Either way, he's pushing past Naaman's rage, anger, and pride mm -hmm. to try to get him to think reasonably and logically. Yeah. And would you say it's implied too that he says, this is what you came down here to do. This yeah. is what you want. He's just yeah. saying, wash and be clean. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think you hit it right on the head, Scott, talking about, you know, trying to get past his pride and his ego. That's often the direction that God goes in accomplishing his will anyway. Almost, well, I almost said forcing, but not necessarily forcing, but, but leading people the humble way. <laughs> Yeah. That's how, that's what God wants people to do. Do it the humble way. Let go of your pride, let go of your ego and do it, do it the humble way. But Naaman wants something really impressive, something that really appeals to maybe what he was used to. He was used to being in high favor with the king, being a man of top caliber and all that kind of stuff. So give me the spotlight type of treatment again. But instead, he's told to go humble himself and wash in a dirty river. Um, and, and we'll make some more applications as we keep going through this. But God hasn't changed his, his way of doing things. He still requires people to appeal to him humbly. Um, and, and if you try to live off of your pride and your ego, a number of times in Scripture, it's noted that God is able to humble the pride and exalt the humble. Yes. Uh, and, that's, and that's what he does here. Isn't that... Um 
Scott, you, 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 you'll know the exact passage. It might be Isaiah 66, where he says, I made everything. There's nothing that you could build for me. I have everything. In other words, this is a beautiful, great universe. I don't need anything, but this is the one that I'm going to look towards. The one that humbles himself before me and, and trembles at my word. And I'm paraphrasing it, but I thought it was Isaiah 66. I don't recall, uh, but that message is so often throughout the Bible, like uh, here in uh, James chapter four, um, submit yourselves to God. Right before that, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves to God. And so just whether we are you can think of all sorts of examples in scripture where, and, and Jesus will give the paradox. Uh, he that exalts himself is going to be humbled. Humbled. He that humbles himself will be Praise. exalted. exalted. He, gives, he gives the little uh, social tip that's also back in the book of Proverbs. When you're invited to a feast, don't run up there, you know, and basically claim shotgun, you know, and, and get the best seat because somebody more important than you that's invited to sit there is brought up there and in shame you have to get out of that seat and go sit in the low seat he said go sit in the low seat maybe you'll be brought up but let somebody else honor you stop <laughs> this is it's a important lesson in our culture there's so much self-exaltation in our culture so much narcissism in our culture john yeah and cj commented um a, a parallel to the attitude of people regarding baptism the attitude of naaman to people's attitude to, regarding baptism people could think better waters could be to save the sinner's prayer or once saved always saved or ask jesus into your heart etc um, but god offers a situation for salvation and we often just want something better or or what we think um yeah. in those situations and it's the exact same you know attitude that naaman has what he thought and how it should be and his preconceived ideas were better than what the prophet of God actually said. Um, and so he chose at least originally to follow what he thought was right. And, and I, I like imagining the rest of Naaman's story. If it didn't turn out like what's recorded, which we haven't got to yet, but what if, what if his servant didn't say anything? We still haven't read that yet, or we just read it, but what if his servant didn't say anything and Naaman went home? He died of leprosy. Would have died a leper. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, so foolish, so foolish. I found that verse, uh, Scott. It is uh, Isaiah 66, uh, 1 and 2. Let me read it. It says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And, and what is the place of my rest? In other words, there's nothing I need. There's nothing you can give me. I have this beautiful universe. What can you give me? Then he says this, All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That's yeah. a hard lesson for me to learn. In Acts 17, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Right. Because he himself gives all mankind breath and life and everything, et cetera, et cetera. But he does want us to humble ourselves. And while we're on baptism, just think of the humbling nature of it. Mm-hmm. We are to put to death the old man. Romans 6, having crucified the old man. Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, if any man comes to me, he must deny self. 
take up his cross daily and follow me. So we have to change. We can't be selfish. We can't be out to, I want to do what I want to do. We have to decide, I want to do what the Lord wants me to do. And we have to put that old man to death. What do you do with an old man? You bury, it. bury him. And Romans 6, you were buried with him into death. You, that, it, it's not like, look how wonderful I've been. No, look how messed up I've been. That he just stopped. And then you let somebody else dip you down in the water and raise you up where, as Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. And then Romans 6, we are to rise and walk in newness of life so it's a renouncing of the old it's a humbling thing we have to be lowered mm -hmm. before we're raised and it's will we submit to what god said to do yep. fortunately for naaman he had a wise he, servant he learned yeah and how often do we need to let our pride and our emotions get out of the way Mm -hmm. and stop and look at the basic facts yeah and and there is no. there is something i think to be said for, for naaman so he he is prideful and arrogant at least at first but some a redeeming quality that naaman has is he's willing to listen yes <laughs> um, yeah. and and even if we are prideful that there's not an excuse to be prideful or trying to you know push that to the side that, that's a that's a heart problem we need to fix that and humble ourselves but it's it becomes foolishness when we're unwilling to listen to other people. Yes. So at least Naaman might be prideful at first, but at least he's not completely foolish. And everybody needs correction. Mm -hmm. Everybody does. I'm glad you brought that up uh, because he's messing up here, but then he does the right thing. The, one of my favorite things in the book of Proverbs is the, and it's repeated several times, how people respond to correction wise people appreciate correction wise people learn from correction wise people you know listen to correction fools hate correction if naaman had been a fool who's speaking to him his servant mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. and it, but he doesn't go who do you think you are no this time he does what a wise person does and he listens to the correction. So he returned to the man of God. He we skipped we skip, we skip the verse, skip Scott. 14. Oh, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Key Thank one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, is, this is the climax of the story. Let's just skip past verse, two, verse 14. And, uh, yeah. Almost walked out of the movie at the biggest action scene. <laughs> uh, so so verse 14, after his servant. Verse 14, he went down and he dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. At this point, how much is he resenting the Jordan instead of going to the abandoned or the far far? What Jordan? No. At this point, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this Jordan. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, he, what he, dirty yeah. Jordan? I don't care about any dirty Jordan. I'm clean. Yeah. At this point, is he offended because the prophet didn't come out? No. How would you feel at this point? Rejoyful. Joyful. So he returned to the man of God. He and all his company came, stood before him, and said, Behold, I know that there is no God 
in all the earth, but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. And what does Elisha say? I'm not in it for the money. As the Lord yeah. lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. He, did, he wasn't taking the money. Yeah, this was a gift of grace. If it's not for sale, he doesn't need to be paid for. This was a gift from God of grace. And I want to pause here and point out something, because when you look at the New Testament, the instructions on how to become a Christian are pretty clear. Uh, many churches today, here's what happens. They'll, they'll preach a sermon. They'll talk about that man has sinned. They'll talk about that God loves man, that Jesus was sent to die for their sins. All of this, very, very biblical. And then they'll say, if you want to be saved, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you'll pray that prayer with me, you'll be saved. And then they pray a prayer directly to Jesus, asking Jesus to receive them and, and accept, they accept them as their savior. And then he says, if you prayed that prayer, you're now saved. And in a lot of churches, they'll tell everybody heads down, don't be looking. And then they'll ask for hands to show who prayed that prayer. That's not in the Bible anywhere. That is not how people became Christians. Read through the book of Acts. You will never see that being done. On the day of Pentecost, when they said, what do we need to do? Peter didn't say every head bowed, every eye closed, pray this prayer, and then show me your hand. Nobody's going to see you but me and God. No, and Jesus did say, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Um, and Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Ananias said, what did Ananias say to Saul of Tarsus? After three days of praying and repentance, what did Ananias say in Acts 22, 16? Why do, Why do you wait? wait? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Yeah, calling on his name. Yet one of the main objections that people list, they say, no, you, even though those verses look like it means you need to be baptized, that can't be so because that would mean we had been saved by our own works. That's ridiculous. Look at the analogy here with Naaman. Look right here at verse 14. Was Naaman saved by the grace of God or by Naaman's own power and works? By the grace of God. Yes. You could, a leper today could go dip into Jordan. He could do a swan dive in from high. He could, you know, he could hold his water underneath for as long as he could and set a world record. He could do all sorts of things in Jordan River. He'd still be a wet leper. He's saved by the grace of God. He tried to pay for it. That would have been works. He brought almost $5 million worth of stuff to, but yeah, that would be, you know, here, this, you gave me a great thing. Let me in turn give you something great. No, this was a gift of grace. So he's not saved by his works. He's saved by the grace of God. Could he have saved himself? No. No. When did God take away the leprosy? After he came up out of the seventh uh, immersion of dipping. Yeah, after he did what God told him to do and dip in the River Jordan. Seven times. If he did it yeah. once, it wouldn't have worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not told to do it seven times. We're told to do it once. But he was told to do this seven times, and then he came up clean. So he humbled himself and did what the Lord said, Jonathan. 
just a couple of comments along those lines from the, from the audience. Uh, CJ said, it seems like God had a purpose in putting this there, uh, which is interesting because it, you brought up a number of the historical books often follow the, the storyline of an Israelite or something that's happening in Israel. But then there's this Syrian commander with a lot of valuable lessons to learn and applications to see. Um, but then he goes on to say, if God had said uh, to cut off my thumb to be saved, uh, you know, I would have to do it. But God's merciful offer is to be baptized. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a blessing. That's a, that's a real gift. Um, and then TJ also said, it's frustrating how common it is for people to claim that baptism is a work of our own to save us. Like CJ yeah. says, it's God's merciful command. If a gift of grace for Naaman to be, it was a gift of grace for Naaman to be healed, just like us. It's silly to claim that it's by our own power. And, and you can do the same thing with the blind man in John 9. The man was born blind. Was there anything he could do to save himself from blindness? No, no. No. Was he saved by his own work and power or by the grace of God? By the grace of God. When did he come seeing? After he dipped in the pool of Siloam like Jesus told him to. So can we stop being like Naaman was originally in deciding how we think God should do it? Can we stop resisting God's instructions? Can we start humbling ourselves and just doing what God said to do. CJ, uh, TJ says obedience is always required for salvation in the Bible, right? Yeah. And what obedience is, is, is showing our humility by listening yeah. to what he said and accepting it. I trust in him. So my trust and faith is in him and he's gracious to give us the way to be saved. When King Saul was going to do some big sacrifices after not obeying the Lord, what did Samuel tell him about what the Lord's really looking for? He's not interested in sacrifices. Uh, to obey is better than the sacrifice. Yeah. And, and he said to listen mm -hmm. better than the fat of rams. Mm -hmm. he said rebellion and stubbornness is like witchcraft and idolatry. People need to quit rebelling against what said, God said and humble themselves. It doesn't mean that if you submit and obey what Jesus tells us to do, that, oh, you saved yourself by your own works. Or, or God oh. owes you that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's just like Naaman here. He humbled himself to do a humiliating thing. After he listened. After he lit, he listened and humbled himself. God gave him grace. God gives grace to the humble. Mm -hmm. All right. So, and he tried, he had money that would have paid for it. Nope. It's a gift of grace. Mm -hmm. And he can't go back and say, yeah, you know, this, he was so happy to get all this wealth that I was able to bring. Did he? No. Mm -hmm. He received a gift of grace. He couldn't pay for it, wasn't asked to pay for it, but he needed to listen and humble himself. Mm -hmm. So um, Elisha says, no, I, I will receive none. He urged him to take it, but he refused. You ever been in a restaurant and say maybe we're, uh, me and Drew to go to a restaurant and Drew says, uh, here, I'm going to get the check. And I say, no, 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 I'll get the check. Drew says, no, no, I insist, let me get the check. And then I say, no, 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 really, let me get the check. But neither one of us is picking it up. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes there's 
uh, it's almost like what what is it when Abraham is uh, trying to buy the uh, the lot of Macbeth? You know, somebody might be estimating. Okay, I'm going to try two more times, and then I'll back out, and he'll have to pay or something. <laughs> um, he's urging Elisha. No, take it, take it, take it. He refused. So now Naaman says, "What, Drew?" He says, uh, Naaman said, well, okay, if not, in other words, if you're not going to take take it, let me let please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. I'm reading it from my translation, ESV. Is yours the same? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, two mule loads of earth. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god, but the Lord. Notice so the first thing there, though, Scott. He places himself in the position, your servant. Yeah. No pride. It's gone. Given to your servant. Yeah. Yes. That's and a major change. Yes. And if you won't let me give you all this wealth, and now he switched to the role of the supplicant, please give me, let me take some dirt. What, what changed him? Before you get to the dirt, though, what changed him? Not the River Jordan. Oh, his obedience to dipping into the river is what cleansed him. But it didn't change him. Something else changed him. Well, his attitude well, changed in his heart he, listening to the servant. Listening, yeah, to, listening the, to his list, listening to the direction, and then getting rid of his pride and being willing to not make it about you know, it, it, and just humbling himself. And yeah. knowing who God, the true God is. Yeah, because he says, now I know who God is. Yes. And uh, who you had mentioned before, a lot of pagans had what kind of an idea of God? Well, the pay, this thing about the dirt, like, what is the dirt? Why do you want to take dirt home with them? A lot of it, too, a truckload. Two, two mules have to pull it so much dirt. And what did that have to do with Because he ties it in with he's not going to offer burnt offering anymore to any god. He's going to only serve and more sacrifice to the true god, right? Well, I did some studying or read, reading on it, and apparently uh, pagan gods were territorial. Yeah, the God yeah. of each nation, each country, and my God's better than your God. So it was like uh, I would have said, uh, the the gods of that God, God of gods of board with borders that were within their borders. Yeah. Yeah. So he's got this mindset that all gods are like that. He he knew enough to and obeyed God to the point of being cleansed, got him started, but he still needed a lot to learn about who the true God of of Israel, who the true God of, of heaven and earth is, because look at the way he said that in verse 15. Back up to verse 15. Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. So he still has that mindset that gods are territorial. Eventually, he'll learn, hopefully, that no, God is he's, not territorial. He's, he's the God of heaven and earth. He's, there's no territory boundaries with him. So I, I get the impression but he, that he, God, what? But he graduated past the idea. Here's this God of this country. Here's that yes. God of this country. And they all have their own territory. He realizes here in this translation, it says that there is no God in all earth, 
but in Israel. I think there may be a different translation in another one. Uh, let me see here. Well, oh, I lost it. Um, I want Bibles. Okay, so like King James says, oh yeah, yeah, same thing. Yeah, I know there is no God in all the world. Uh, so no God in all the earth, but in Israel. So Except he, the one in Israel. I think he still has that territorial concept. The, the God of Israel, but he realizes these other gods aren't, aren't, no. yeah, aren't that. Uh, so, so he's so, got to take, so, so the God of Israel, the God in the land of Israel, uh, I got to take some land back with me. I got to take some dirt land. with me. Uh, it's not the same, but it's slightly similar. What did Daniel do when he's in Babylon and he wants to pray? He opens up his windows towards Jerusalem. Yeah. That's he right. Windows to face toward Jerusalem. Now, he didn't take, you know, a couple of mule loads of dirt. Um, he doesn't think that's necessary. But Naaman, coming from his thinking, this, this is what he wants to do. I'm leaving Israel and I'm going back. But I know now who God is, and it's the God of Israel. So in his mind, he wants to take a little bit of Israel. That's the point I was making. Yeah. And apparently that's where he's going to offer sacrifices. Because yeah. notice the connection. Please let there be given two mule loads of earth for from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. But he doesn't want to do that on Syrian soil. He wants to do it on. Let me throw out another aside that may or may not confuse us further with this. But remember the bush, the burning bush? Yeah. Uh, he was told, Moses was told to remove his, his uh, shoes, his sandals, because he's now standing on ground. Yeah, right. holy ground. So there's some connection with that. I don't want to go any further than that but there's some connection and he he has this feeling of holy the dirt had to be in his backyard so to speak oh i'm sorry we are 242 we need to hurry here move it along move it along and then he then he he, he asks uh to be pardoned and when he needs to accompany his master uh and elisha says him he's a gentile and it doesn't say he's going to be worshiping there but when he needs to accompany his master the prophet just says go in peace but when Naaman had gone a short distance, Gehazi, servant of Elisha, said, See, my master has spared this Naaman the Syrian and not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I'll run after him and get something from him. Gehazi followed Naaman. Naaman saw someone running and he got down and said, Is all well? He said, All's well. My master said to say to him, Just now come. Have you noticed sometimes when people lie, they add a lot of details? Come <laughs> 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 from the hill country of Ephraim, two young men, sons of prophets. Please give them a pound of silver to change clothing. Please be accepted. Take two talents. He urged them, tied up two talents, and they, he carried them. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand, put them in the house, sent them away, and departed. He went in and stood before his master. And Elisha says, Where have you been? <laughs> And Gehazi says, nowhere. I haven't gone anywhere. I've been here all day. And Elisha says, did not my heart go with you when the man turned his chariot to meet you? Okay, if you're Gehazi right here, your heart goes, oops. 
was it a time to accept money in garments, olive orchards, vineyards, seed box, and male servants, female servants? And then very fitting, the leprosy of Naaman will cling to you and to your descendants forever. He went out from his presence, a leper. Didn't the servant know Elisha? Didn't he know him? Didn't the servant Gehazar, however you say that name, he knew Elisha, he knew his servant, was a prophet of God. He knew the law. He knew he was a religious man. He was a Hebrew, right? Ananias and Sapphira. They become disciples of Jesus because they believe he's the Messiah. That's right. They decide, you know, got involved there. I, I heard about a situation where a church treasurer embezzled for years. Oh. You know, there's how many, how many times do people think that they can hide from God? What does Jonah try to do? Oh, run the other one. Does yeah. that work out? That, not well at all. No. <laughs> yeah, there's that. No matter where you go. Yeah, so... So his That's greed, there. now there's the attitude of greed. He wasn't prideful, he yep. was greedful. And his greed, yep. we got to be careful ourselves because we have the same capabilities. Yep, yep. Mm -hmm. yep. Very good. Jonathan, want to close this out? Yeah, so thank you guys for uh, that discussion there in Second Kings and thank you to our audience for your participation today hopefully that that's helpful and some good things to think about uh if you have any other any other bible characters or topics or anything you'd like us to discuss here on our show on tuesdays um you can submit those to us at biblequest.tv uh, or, or you have any other you know interesting characters that you'd like us to expound on uh, you can submit all those requests to us online and we'll be happy to uh, talk about those on our future shows but that's all that we have for this week and so we will see you all next week lord willing <laughs>